0: The Immortal Game is a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year and is available in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Hi, this is Mark again. I hope you enjoyed The Immortal Game. I thought a nice way to wrap up would be to answer some of the questions I saw posted on Twitter about the book or received through email. To help me with that, I've asked podcaster extraordinaire Seth Harwood, author of Jack Wakes Up and Young Junius, to come to the studio and do
1: a little Q&A. Hey, what's up? That's right. This is your boy, Seth Harwood. Happy to be here with Mark, the showstopper Coggins. Let's talk about The Immortal Game. I hope you've been loving the story like I have, and I've got some questions for Mark. Hope you're ready for them. Mark, you ready? I'm ready, man. Fire away. Okay. First, how did you come to write the book?
0: Well, The Immortal Game started out as a short story for a trade paperback quarterly called The New Black Mask. August Rudin's first appearance in print had been in another story for The New Black Mask called There's No Such Thing as Private Eyes, and I'd written The Immortal Game as a follow-up, but unfortunately the publication folded before the story made it into print. This was in um, the mid-80s. I put the short story in a drawer for about 10 years, and when I found the time to write again seriously around 96 or 97, I pulled it out and used it as the basis of the novel. Of course, it was much expanded from the original story. How did you choose the name August? I knew I wanted the last name of the character to be Reardon as a sort of homage to a character in Raymond Chandler's Farewell, My Lovely. Um, For the same reason, I also knew that I wanted the first name to start with A. I finally picked August because I thought it was somewhat unusual, and I kind of liked the ring of it.
1: What about his character? Bass playing, wisecracking P.I.? How did he come to you, and how would you describe his narrative voice? Well, he's intended to be a throwback to
0: Golden Age detectives. In fact, as the title of that first short story, There's No Such Thing as Private Eyes, suggests, the idea behind this story is that someone like Reardon couldn't really exist in today's world. Everything about Reardon flows from the idea that he's somewhat of an anachronism. The place he lives, the car he drives his interest in jazz and antique stereo equipment, and his reluctance to come to grips with computers and high technology. I would say his narrative voice is the embodiment of his worldview, jaded, cynical, and maybe tinged with a bit of hard-bitten humor. He doesn't care what others think of him, and he makes the quips and fires off the comeback lines you think of 30 minutes too late
1: or are too polite or reserved to actually vocalize. Oh yeah, right, right. That's what I think about Jack Palms, too. You know, I fell for this guy. I felt for Reardon when his wife, I mean his base, was so brutally taken from him. It seems like he would have totally gone apeshit, sugar in the pants, when it is destroyed in front of his eyes. Anything you want to say about that?
0: Yeah, a number of musicians have told me they found the scene where Reardon loses his bass to be particularly troubling. In fact, I was contacted by a real jazz bass playing private investigator who was convinced that I had based Reardon on him. What made it really eerie was this guy had actually played gigs in several of the clubs I mentioned in the book, and his firm had been employed, unbeknownst to me, by a high-tech company where I once worked. But more to the point, uh, the private investigator's big criticism of the book was that he felt Reardon would have reacted much more strongly to having his base destroyed. He really wanted Reardon to go after Haystrip and Pace with a vengeance. Where does his interest in jazz come from? As I suggested earlier, Reardon's interest in jazz stems from the idea he belongs to a different era. For the most part, the style of jazz that Reardon likes to play and listen to comes from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I'm not a musician myself, so this is one of the most difficult aspects of the book to pull off. However, I had a lot of help from a friend of mine named Larry Berger, who is a real expert in 1930s and 1940s jazz. Larry knows a lot of famous jazz musicians, most notably jazz saxophonist Benny Carter, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, and he has assisted in the studio on several of Carter's records. Larry also helped with Reardon's antique hi-fi equipment particularly with the description of the monster Altec Lansing speakers Reardon has in his living room. And to top it off, the photo I used to illustrate Chapter 15 and the first and ebook editions of the novel is of Larry's wrist handcuffed to the speaker
1: handle. You seem to incorporate a lot of computery things. Lots of references to technology and the Silicon Valley. Why is that?
0: My day job is in computers and software, so I'm leveraging the knowledge I picked up from working in the industry. However, Reardon himself is quite a technophobe. Part of the tension in the books comes from having him deal with technology that he would not use
1: or be comfortable with. One thing that definitely comes through in the novel is your love of San Francisco. Do you think of the city as a character in the novel? I've been in writing groups where the question of whether a locale
0: or a city can be a character in a book has provoked some very heated exchanges. I understand the perspective of those who say a city can't be a character. Cities don't have motives, make choices, engage in interior monologues, all the obvious things that define a character. That said, one of the reasons that I admire the work of Chandler and Hammett so much is the way they portrayed LA and San Francisco. When you read Chandler in particular, You really feel like you understand what it was like to live in Southern California in the 30s and 40s. He left behind a record of the city that photographs from the period, or even films, simply don't convey. In writing The Immortal Game, I set out to provide as realistic a picture of life in contemporary San Francisco as I could. In fact, readers of early drafts of the book often redlined sections where they felt I had gotten carried away with descriptions of the city and the people in it. I took some of those suggestions— But if I erred, I always erred on the side of retaining details about San Francisco, rather than omitting them. I guess the end result is that San Francisco, if not a character, is a well-painted backdrop or setting in which the characters of the books interact. I suppose a comparison with stage plays wouldn't be too far off. Some plays are done with little or no props and very Spartan sets. Others are done with sets that mimic real life as much as possible. It's the choice of the director, or the writer in my case to select the approach that
1: serves the story best. I've seen a couple of comments on Twitter, and I've got to ask, was it really necessary to have the scene where Reardon plays the s and tape near the end of the book?
0: I've gotten asked that several times. An old friend of mine, in fact she was the model for Nurse Penny Waller in the book, said that she, quote, wanted to take a spoon and remove the part of her brain where that memory was stored after reading it. But I still think it is necessary. Although Reardon doesn't express it to the reader at the time, that is the moment when he tumbles to the idea that McCullough has infected Bishop with HIV. Their sex is so
1: blatantly unsafe. What are some of the best ways that fans can show their appreciation for the podcast? I mean, other than going over to Amazon and buying copies of the ebook or trade paperback.
0: Well, you can certainly snag an ebook or trade paperback copy of the novel or any of the other August Reardon novels from Amazon. I'd also very much appreciate it if you went to Amazon, Goodreads, or Podio Books and gave The Immortal Game a five-star review. What's next from Mark Coggins? I'll be podcasting another Reardon novel, Candy from Strangers. Reardon is hired by Stockwell's wife to find their missing
1: daughter. You know you got to listen to that. Thanks for coming on here to talk about the book, Mark. I know I've really enjoyed it and the fans have too. Great to be talking with you, man.
0: You have been listening to The Immortal Game, a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year. Find it in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.